Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, good morning. Are you kidding me? What a great day today. Welcome and hope you're having a wonderful day. By the way, today at some point, I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point today you can watch us also streaming on Facebook Live. Of course, the YouTube crowd is already up rocking and rolling. The Twitter crowd is already up telling me (coughs) that I'll never comment on Chris Ballard's AK, whatever the hell he said. Well, I've already done that. And I can continue to do that if you would like. But there is a bunch of news that I actually don't have here on our script. One, Brittany Griner final arguments today in her cannabis trial or her weed trial, whatever you want to call it over in Russia. That final arguments leads to Friday, ladies and gentlemen. There will be uh, a sentencing, or I guess what we could say is before a sentencing, I guess we got to get a verdict. So there will be a verdict on Friday and a sentencing if, in fact, there needs to be a sentencing. Now, a lot of things can happen between now and then. But as you know, I have been keeping up with this. We've been at the forefront of saying, hey, look, I understand Brittany Griner doesn't like the United States. I understand Brittany Griner has been, you know, ridiculous. But hey, look, she should not be in jail this long for something that simple. I also understand the other side of it, which is, hey, man, don't go to Russia and break the laws. But she's an American. And I would like to see her out, although I must say, a Time magazine, don't make this person out to be a hero. She's disrespectful of others' laws, got caught, and away we go. All right, also, uh, it was revealed that Tiger Woods was offered like anywhere between $700 and $900 million to uh, join the Live Tour, and he said no. I'm not going to make Tiger Woods out to be some hero for saying no. Look, if Tiger Woods was me, he would have said yes, but he's Tiger freaking Woods. And he's got more money than he has since. And he's got a reputation that has been whitewashed by those in the media that are afraid to say, hey, man, where's that Buddhist stuff you said you were doing? Anyway, if you're going to be that public a figure and you're going to talk about your religion, then let's see a little follow-up. We won't. We don't. I personally don't care. And good for Tiger Woods turning down $700 to $900. Of course, there is an article today by the worst of the worst, a man named Dan Wolken, in USA Today, talking about how to live tours, solas, all that kind of stuff. Live tours in its second or third event. I mean, I don't know whether it's any good or not, but I do know this. you got to give it a moment. And as I've said before, the live tour is not slowing down. Also, I don't think one day kind of cuts it for Bill Russell, the celebration of Bill Russell. Two state championships as a high school player, two NCAA championships, 55 games, in a row as a college player, an Olympic gold medal, 11 NBA championships, two more as a coach, a civil rights leader, not a civil rights fraud, not a civil rights grifter as we see today. No, a civil rights leader. I believe Jim Brown, even though Jim Brown has been arguably among the worst human beings on the planet for his treatment of women over the years, Jim Brown, Lou Cinder, AKA Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, obviously, and Bill Russell uh, have been as active and as good and as important to our civil rights history as any. Now we've got grifters, we've got shysters, we've got guys on both sides. Hell, I just saw 
where that fraud Sean King, who I think is a white guy that acts as an African-American, spent 40 grand, allegedly, at least according to Fox News, of GoFundMe-type money of finances raised to buy a damn dog. We got grifters out there, but I'll tell you this. Russell, no. Alcinder Jabbar, no, because he was an activist as Lou Alcinder. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, absolutely not. Bill Russell, as I said, no. Muhammad Ali, please. Jim Brown, absolutely on the forefront, not afraid to speak out. Hurt his cause a bit by his treatment of women. uh, But for whatever the reason, people have given that a pass. But those folks have had it rough. Now, we all look at slights on Twitter. I'm going back to what Jerry Seasting said yesterday. Remember when Jerry Seasting said, hey, look, damn, the story was always in Reading, Massachusetts, a town, I guess, a little bit north of Boston. During the playoffs, Bill Russell got his house broken into with words all over the walls. Well, you know what those words were. Of course you know what those words were. We all know what those words were. And yet Bill Russell uh, yes, he was angry. Yes, I'm sure there was some bitterness. But when I started researching Russell yesterday in terms of people that know him, they always said one word, gregarious, outgoing. Just because he sa- didn't sign autograph doesn't make him a bad guy. He didn't sign autographs because he didn't want to sign autographs. That's everybody's prerogative. But I got to tell you, I always felt that way. I told you yesterday my opinion of Bill Russell gregarious, outgoing, enthusiastic. Live your life with some damn enthusiasm, will you please? It's evil, you know, I just, this bad. somebody said a mean tweet to me. Somebody wrote an article. So what? Cares? Think about what Bill Russell had. Hell, my own house got firebombed back in the day. Molotov cocktail thrown at the side of the house and away they went. I am still amazed And yet I'm not amazed that Deshaun Watson only got six games. There's a great article in ESPN, uh, ESPN ESPN.com, by Dan Graziano. Dan Graziano uh, talked about how an arbitrator is not supposed to make both sides happy. You go to an arbitrator so that they pick a side. Simple, right? I'm not here as an arbitrator to get a compromise. I'm here as an arbitrator to decide. And that's what we all have to understand. And an arbitrator does not base it on emotion. An arbitrator bases it on the evidence presented to them and the precedent set in place. A lot of emotional, you know, a lot of emotional media members losing their mind, uh, trying to placate. But that's what an arbitrator is to do. An arbitrator is to take the evidence and the precedent and away you go. That's it. Now remember this, and this is a pretty serious thing. The arbitrator did say that Russ, or excuse me, that Deshaun Watson was guilty. Didn't, didn't say he was innocent, said he was guilty of violating the code of conduct. And in three ways, he engaged in sexual assault. How about that? That's what the arbitrator ruled. By engaging in conduct that put another in danger. So those two things, and then I'll go to the third violation of the code of conduct. The third one was, and I'm just reading this verbatim, puts the integrity of the NFL at risk, his actions. So you have three things that the arbiter said. The arbiter said engaged in sexual assault. The arbiter said engaged in conduct that put another in danger and 
puts integrity of the NFL at risk. Now, the truth of the matter is, when you look at all of this, you look at why can they appeal? Why can they appeal? Well, they can appeal, the NFL can, because they put, he engaged, she said they engaged in sexual assault and put another in danger. Right there gives the NFL the right to appeal. If they said he didn't, then the NFL could not appeal. Does Roger Goodell have to arbitrate this appeal? No, he does not have to. He can designate somebody else, which seems silly to me both ways. You've already designated somebody else, Ms. Robinson. That's right. She was designated as the arbitrator. But Goodell now is the appeal arbitrator, which seems really silly to me. It's going to be interesting because a lot of things are coming into play here. Number one, you're seeing a divide along racial lines. White journalists are talking about how horrible only a six-game suspension is. African-Americans are talking about, wait a second, he was proven guilty. This is somebody that actually had all the facts in front of them. She used the Ray Rice case of two games as a bit of a template. Now, when Ray Rice got two games, two games was all Roger Goodell could do. So before you go screaming and yelling about two games from Roger Goodell, or excuse me, two games for Ray Rice, six for this, understand the rules have changed. Understand this about uh, Calvin Ridley. This is one where it says very clearly, very, very clearly, if you gamble, you're going to be suspended for a year, maybe a lifetime ban. Hell, I've seen it on the wall at the Colts camp. I've seen it. I've seen it. Now, for those of you that say, well, there were 24 women or 30 women, whatever, fine. They didn't have the power of subpoena. You couldn't say, hey, you must come in and talk to me, one of these ladies or one of these massage therapists, or by penalty of law. No, they didn't have that. So what they did was 12 people came in and spoke, 12 witnesses. Of those witnesses, Ms. Robinson used four. Now, one of the things that she did say, which led to a guilty plea, and I think this is very interesting, that based on those four witnesses, sexual purpose was the reason for massage, not just therapeutic purpose. So Deshaun Watson was freaky. Deshaun Watson uh, blurred, didn't blur the line. He jumped over the wall of, hey, I'm coming in here to get a massage or I'm using my position and my massage to get sexual pleasure. That's what she's saying here. This was for sex, not therapy. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal for Watson. In fact, when you read this, you kind of wonder, wait a second. She's already saying, hold on. Wait. She's already saying there was a sexual assault. Why wasn't this charged? There's a lot of reasons why things couldn't be charged. Maybe the victim didn't want to charge. Maybe the victims didn't want to charge. Maybe they just wanted, after they saw all of this, not to go to court. There's a lot of reasons here. So why six games? Well, again, when you are in her position, you use precedent. And there really is no precedent when you go through all of this where you say, okay, well, 
four games for Deflategate, people are using that, a full year when something that says simply uh, don't bet on football, or you could get at minimum a year suspension, at maximum a lifetime ban. Do you see what I'm saying here? Those are already in place. So basically what she did was she made her best guess based on a variety of things, one of which was the Ray Rice incident. And here's the other thing. Yes, you have witnesses. Yes, you do. But let's be honest. In the world that we live in, that we all live in, witnesses are great. But because of the preponderance of this, because of how many folks can do this, guess what? Witnesses don't hold nearly as much water as they used to. And that's sad. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. You can make the argument that we absolutely saw what Ray Rice did, and we absolutely don't know he said, she said, about what Deshaun Watson did. And I think that argument would hold water. Now, we can't, I guess, do every trial like that. I mean, at some point, you got to believe witnesses, particularly when there's more than one. But that's the way this went. No video, no hard evidence. He said, she said, and the arbitrator, Ms. Robinson, did exactly what she was paid to do. Looked at the evidence. I'll read it exactly. Not designed to make all happy. You're not a compromiser. You're an arbitrator. When baseball, when baseball players go to an arbitrator, it's the baseball player against the team. Arbitrator says, I rule for one side, I rule for the other. That's what this is. So make no mistake, Deshaun Watson, while we aren't happy about only losing this much money, or we are happy, while we aren't happy that he only got six games, or you are happy, he got found guilty. And I think that's being lost a little bit. I think it's kind of a big deal. Like, some of us look at only the money. A six-game suspension is significant. Is it what maybe we all thought it would be? No. But as I said yesterday, I don't have the evidence that Ms. Robinson has. And I'm not charged to make a decision based on that evidence. Neither is some media guy that's writing about how awful or gross or ridiculous or whatever it is. He doesn't have it. You know what he's trying to do? See which way the wind blows. So whether you like it or not, there, I assume I assume there will be an appeal, but here's the deal with an appeal. It's got to happen pretty quick. I mean, if Roger Goodell's going to appeal, I wouldn't be surprised if the notice doesn't come down during this show. I mean, it could happen. It's supposed to happen within three days. So we'll see what happens. But it is fascinating. And it is amazing how people just lost their minds so quickly on something that they knew nothing about. And I applaud Dan Graziano for writing the article today because, frankly, he laid it out. All right, let's go to the next thing. Baseball trade deadline. Ian Miller's going to join us coming up. Nobody knows more about it than Ian. Uh, One trade that I found fascinating was Josh Hader. Josh Hader, if you know who he is, man, he's the best reliever in baseball. You simply can't hit him. 
You simply can't hit them. And the Brewers are fighting. They're fighting it in the NL Central. They're trying. They're right around it. So they give away the number one guy. This is a pretty good trade for the Brewers. They give away the number one guy in Hayter to a team that's trying to win now. They get the number two guy in Taylor Rodgers back. Now, Rodgers is a free agent at the end of the year, but what they really got is a guy named Asturi Ruiz, 23-year-old kid, who everybody tells me, at least everything that I've read, is the next superstar. He's crushing it. He just got assigned to AAA. They also got a kid named uh, Robert, I, I can't even read my writing, Gasser. So I'm reading about this kid. This is how I look at baseball. 115 strikeouts, 28 freaking walks in 90 innings. I always look at more than a strikeout an inning and you're doing pretty good. And then they got a guy that was fourth. Look, I don't care about all these baseball trades per se. I'm sad that the Cubs aren't involved. It blanks me off to no end. But I got to tell you, I liked it when Hayter left because I'm a Cub fan, and whenever he came in, it was lights out. So he gone to the West, but a bunch of young, pretty good players are coming in. I don't like that either. What the hell are the Cubs doing? It drives me crazy. As a guy that ran off the bus, and I'm not, I'm not, hey, ran, almost got hit a couple times because my house was on this side and the bus was on that. I almost got hit. What inning are they in? Cup fan my whole life. I like Hater gone, but I don't like other teams making good moves. All right? Stop. Ladies and gentlemen, minute by minute, throw by throw, training camp updates are ridiculous. I understand why you have to have them. Did you see that interception Baker Mayfield threw in practice the other day? So what? It's practice. We talking about practice. We're not talking about a game here. You get minute-to-minute throws, minute-to-minute rushes, one-on-one. I understand why we have to do it, but I'm cautioning you fans, listen. Listen to me. You're supposed to make mistakes in practice. Let me ask you a question. Training camp's open to the public, right? It's not like shoot-around day at the NCAA tournament where you go watch your favorite team and they come out in front of fans and then they go to some desolate high school gym to really practice. It's not that. This is the team's practice. So don't get excited when Matt Ryan hits Alec Pierce and, oh, my God, it looked great. He's wearing shorts, no pads, no rush, no nothing. And I get it. It's the NFL. It's the biggest of the big. We want to know everything. There's shows on literally all day about the NFL. We get it. But fans, it's practice. You're supposed to screw up. You're supposed to learn. Well, you know, Baker Mayfield went 8 for 10, and Sam Darnold went 9 for 10. I think Sam Darnold's clearly the favorite. That's not how it works. As a coach, what you do is you take what you think equates, and then you figure it out. There's a guy, Caesar Rayford. Caesar Rayford was the star of Colts camp a couple years ago. All the little Indianapolis media boys and girls were losing their mind. My God, Caesar Rayford. You know what happened to Caesar Rayford the day after a big article in our favorite newspaper came out? Traded Dallas. 
Uh, never played. Cut with a month or two later. Duran Carter. Man, Duran Carter was the man in Colts camp. Deion Kane. Oh, man. Your camp has it, too. Your camp has the exact same thing. I guarantee you, whatever you are, wherever you are, excuse me, whoever you are a fan of, there are guys that you're like, man, this guy's going to be the man. Chris Carter's son, Duran Carter. He's got great pedigree. Most talented guy, yeah? Boom, boom. I mean, everything. Never played it down. Because the way you evaluate as a coach includes statistics, absolutely. But it includes so much more. Does his speed equate? Does his burst equate? Who's he playing against? A couple years ago here in the wonderful world of Colts, Chad Kelly was all the rage. Free Chad Kelly! He was Jim Kelly's nephew, Jim Kelly and Frank Reich played together, thick as thieves. So Jim Kelly got Frank Reich to bring his nephew, Chad, into Colts camp. I'm sitting at Colts camp. I'm watching Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly's the first guy out there. He's doing all the right things. Now, Chad Kelly was a legit player out of Ole Miss. He was like a sixth or seventh round draft choice, got into some trouble, had a bad night. All right, next thing you know, he's out of the league. They bring him in, and Chad Kelly's doing all the right things. First guy out there working hard. I'm watching it. You know what? To the naked eye, you could see that he was okay. He was a legit NFL, you know, training camp quarterback. Comes in a preseason game. He's all right. Not bad. Doesn't make the team. Gets cut. Doesn't get picked up. I don't know where Chad Kelly is. But I'll give Chad Kelly credit. He at least did what you're supposed to do, which is do the things right. Didn't make the team. No No dishonor in that. He busted it. But man, oh man, I think he was on a practice squad, actually. And every single time, Jacoby Brissett or somebody had a problem, he was bringing Chad. You have one of those. Of course you do. Every town has one of those. Ours? Caesar Rayford, Duran Carter, uh, Deion Kane, Chad Kelly. Those are ours, at least in the recent past. In the recent past. I remember going, hey, man, this is awesome, Right? All right, trade deadline is here. Look, baseball, I understand, has an attendance problem. Baseball, I understand, isn't necessarily in the conscious eye, but baseball is doing great. You see the salaries they're giving out? Have you seen the money baseball is doling out? If you haven't, check it out. I'll give you an example. 15 years, $440 million, million, damn near half a billion, turned down by a guy hitting 240. Think about that. So baseball's got all these issues. One of the issues is not this guy, Otani. If I'm building a baseball team, I want this guy. Why? Because he can pitch, he can hit, by all accounts, a great teammate, he's a star, People want to buy his jerseys. People want to be around him. People from out of state fly in to see him. People go to batting practice. If he pitches, people get It's everything. And yet, because of how ridiculous sports have become, 
All they're talking about these last two days is, is a deal for Otani dead? If they, Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Angels, trade Soche Otani, baseball officially stinks. This is a guy you keep. This is a guy you build around. This is a guy that you hire a general manager smart enough to make the right moves that between him and Mike Trout, you win some games. This is not a guy you trade for pieces. I don't care. This is a guy that you keep in your organization for 25 years, and then you have a day, and then you put a statue. Same with Mike Trout. This is what you do with this guy. And if you don't have bullpen, excuse me, if you don't have minor league enough, and you got to trade him for prospects, then the general manager is awful, and he needs to go. I don't care what freaking group he belongs to. Doesn't matter. You got to go. I don't care. Get somebody in there smart, but you cannot trade this man if you are the Los Angeles Angels. This is the best player in baseball, the most interesting player in baseball, the most visible worldwide player in baseball. How about you get a general manager that's smart enough to put pieces around him that can win something? Or you get an owner that, I don't know, makes the Los Angeles Angels an attractive place for people to come. Trade them to the Dodgers. Let them put billboards all up, all around the city, and see how that goes for you. Trade them to San Diego. San Diego seems to be buying everything. Let them put billboards, and everybody traveling both ways, L.A. to San Diego and San Diego back, can see this guy on billboards. If they trade Soche Otani, then baseball completely stinks. Awful. Awful. If they trade Otani and don't fire the general manager, it's worse than stinks. It's like your grandpa, after a bad night of eating sausage and coney dogs and drinking whiskey, what he does to the bathroom, that kind of stinks. You know, My father, always knew when my father had conies. Downstairs bathroom, that's the stink. It smells so bad there's particles in the air if they get rid of Otani. Seriously, be better. I, just be better if you're whatever that guy's name is, I, the, the Moreno. You got a job. You're supposedly this smart guy. Quit being a jackass. You got the best player in baseball. You got a guy everybody else says is the best player in baseball in Trout. I know he's hurt. Get it done. I got five coaches coming up. Five coaches that are on the hot seat. One of which you're going to say, well, that's idiotic. He's not on the hot seat. The other one, when I started re, uh, re, researching this, I'm like, how in the hell is he on the hot seat? But then when I really started researching it, I'm like, yeah, okay, he's on the hot seat. I got one guy, you're going to say, no chance. You're an idiot. But I'm not an idiot. Everything that I say to you where you say, okay, Doc, it's you're an idiot, it's got no chance, always turns out to be true. Aiden O'Connell for Heisman, baby. We'll be right back. Five NFL coaches, in my opinion, the top five under the most pressure this year. We'll be right back. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for being here. We got great numbers so far. Go out and tell your friends. Go tell your friends about the greatest show on earth, about the most handsome man on the planet. Anyway, all right. I got five coaches. I did skip over one thing I wanted to talk about. Peyton Manning just keeps winning. Peyton Manning does not mess around. Peyton Manning and Luke Bryan uh, are going to, Luke Bryan, are going to host the Country Music Awards. I like both. Big fan of Peyton Manning. Went to see Luke Bryan. While he is a bit cheesy, yeah, it's pretty good. All right. There is a preponderance. I love that word. I heard Natalie Turner say it. She put it in. Um, she put it in her Twitter account, and I just liked it. I'm sorry. I just I liked it. But anyway, let's talk about coaches on the hot seat. Now, in the world that I live in, in the world that I go about the business of rocking and rolling in, um, I think coaches should be given five years. I think if you're coming to the NFL, unless you're just a mess, like one of the things that's going to happen for the Jacksonville Jaguars is they're going to get the discipline that Urban tried to instill for a year or two under Doug Peterson. I anticipate the Jacksonville Jaguars to have a big, big, big jump, and the media is going to get it all wrong. They're going to give it to, well, a more professional environment here with Doug Peterson. And no, what happens is when a coach comes in, is universally disliked because of discipline, because of toughness, because of snarkiness, that eventually takes hold on the team and it carries over for a year or two. The Bob Knight, Mike Davis theory I've talked about forever. But here's the deal. There's also the other way. The other way is when you come into a city that universally hates its coach no matter what. And if you don't make a big impression, you're screwed the rest of your career. And you know who that is? I'll tell you exactly who that is. Matt Eberfluss, number five. I'm going to give you the John Calipari theory of coaching. All right, you ready? When John Calipari came into Kentucky, John Calipari was bigger than Kentucky fans. Oh, my God, they said. We got John Calipari. Did you see this? We got John Calipari. Oh, my God, we had Billy Gillespie. Oh, my God, let me click. It's John Calipari. 
you were bigger, Calipari was, than the fan base. And the fan base went nuts. So you get, you get a little bit of leeway. That's right. You get a little bit of, hey, by the way, we'll give him time because he has got a proven track record. I think that guy's going to be great. Why do you think that guy's going to be great? Well, I think that guy's going to be great because, well, you know, he was great here. He was great there. And we're just lucky to have him. That's not the case in Eberflus. Eberflus, we in Indianapolis, and I say this and it hurts my head. We in Indianapolis were very happy that Matt Eberflus got a head coaching job. We were very happy because it got Matt Eberflus the hell out of here. Let me say that again. The defense was awful with the Colts when it needed to be good. Four straight touchdowns against the Ravens is all you need to know when basically they had a game put away. All right. So now Eberflus goes to Chicago. And let me give you the history here. Once you start out bad in a city like Chicago and you are not the golden child, it don't go well for you. Now, Indianapolis, we don't care. The media is different. We're not, we're not, the only guy that really rips anybody is me. Thus, the only guy that really gets ripped is me. But I digress. Megan Turner. Did I say Natalie? Somebody blow my head off. We got to get Megan on. I got to give a formal apology. Anyway, I don't even understand what she tweets, but I love it. Anyway, let me go back to Eberflus. So Eberflus, since 2012, the Chicago Bears, when they fired Lovey Smith, Mark Tressman, two years, uh, Fox, John Fox, three years, Nagy, four years. So at least they're trending in the right direction. But I'm telling you, man, you get off to a bad start and you're not, I don't know, Sean Payton, they're going to be calling for Eberflus today, tomorrow, and the next day. Makes me sad. My wife grew up with Matt Eberflus. My wife and her brother grew up with the Eberflus boys in Toledo. They're friends. But I got to tell you, in Chicago, you're not the golden child. You, ladies and gentlemen, have a problem if you don't get off to a decent start. And frankly, there's no evidence here from Indianapolis that Eberflus will get off to a good start based on his defensives, defenses that he was in charge of here in Indy. Eberflus, numero five. Numero four, oh man, the pastor, Frank Reich, beloved by the media. I mean to tell you, everybody loves Frank Reich. Not somewhat loves. Everybody loves him. Nicest man in the world. Quarterback whisperer. Only problem is he hadn't made any quarterbacks better. Andrew Luck quit under his watch. Why? Andrew Luck, according to every source, mostly his father and others, didn't like the Colts' organizational direction. Now, that was a problem. Mike Greenberg talked about it. One of the problems with the organizational direction is most great players don't like to be coached soft. And there's nobody softer than Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. Now, performance. Hey, look, 9-8 and eight last year, not very good. You got to remember, the Colts play in the weakest division in football. It's a division that made the Tennessee Titans the number one overall seed. 
in the AFC. Four years, one playoff win. Two playoffs, not won the division yet. 57% winning percentage. Yay, Ra, go fight, win. Certainly better than mine in college, but don't let me be the standard. The truth of the matter is, Frank Reich's team starts slow. They're doing everything they can to fix that. They get pretty good, and then they you-know-what to bed. He's lucky to have a job right now, Frank Reich. Last year, the two losses back-to-back to end the season. One against Oakland here, where everyone's All-American, Shaq Leonard missed a blatant, wide-open, I'm-going-to-kill-you sack on Derek Carr. And then the next week, Eberflus's defense, to start the game against Jacksonville, couldn't stop Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars in a tradition like no other. The coach can't beat the Jaguars in Jacksonville. But anyway, I digress. So they crapped the bed the last two games. Jimmy Ursay, the owner, had and demanded a meeting in his office upon the return from Jacksonville. The two guys, Ballard and Reich, were lucky to keep their jobs. Very lucky. Because the NFL, at least in Jimmy Ursay's world, used to be all about winning. But in Indianapolis, we have the great correction. The great correction is Ryan Grixon, who was 52 and 34 as a general manager, as opposed to 41 and 41 by this guy, was too mean. The media didn't love him. The only person he talked to in town had two thumbs and pointed at himself, this guy, because he understood that I was the only guy that anybody really listened to. And that blanked off every other media. So the big correction, we're getting kinder, we're getting general. Remember last year, the Colts, because the players didn't want to, didn't even have OTAs. But Frank Reich is beloved. But I'm telling you right now, a duplicate of last year, 9-8, and eight, no playoffs, easiest division in football by far, and guess what? Frank's packing. Because Ballard is a survivor, big-time survivor. It will be now, even though we're on our sixth quarterback during this regime, and somehow, someway, Frank Reich, who didn't develop Brissett, hasn't de- didn't develop Jacob Eason. Uh, let's see. Luck left. They begged Philip Rivers to come back. He said no. Carson Wentz was the golden child. One year of him, the quarterback whisperer didn't develop him. Uh, it is starting to be seen, and rightfully so, unless something happens, as a house of sand. I was talking to Stacey Dales from NFL Network. She said what everybody says. Oh, we love this place. Oh, my God, do we love the Colts. All media loves the Colts. Indianapolis media legitimately has Camp Ballard. They go to Camp Ballard, they eat pizza nachos, and watch film because Ballard's a survivor. He's smart enough. But I'm telling you right now, Frank Reich doesn't win at minimum double-digit games. If Frank Reich doesn't win a playoff game, Frank Reich, he out. Next on the hit list, and I don't want anybody to get fired. I don't want nobody getting, what do they call it, the Ziggy, the Turk, the Axe. Nobody. But I got to tell you, man, Matt Rule had one good year. Maybe two. Maybe he had a good year at Temple. And then Matt Rule went to Baylor, and I guess he had a good year, but it's starting to look like everybody wins at Baylor. But Matt Rule is number three on the hit list. Look, I get it. Christian McCaffrey's the greatest player in the history of football. Stop. 
Christian McCaffrey's a running back. He's fine. He's a luxury. That's what he is. Matt Rule right now is 10 and 23 in two years. And I got to tell you, there's really no interest other than Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, was very classy, saying it's not my business when it came to Deshaun Watts. Very classy. Good for Baker Mayfield. But the truth of the matter is, Matt Rule has done absolutely nothing to inspire anything in Carolina. When you go 10 and 23, and frankly, you got a quarterback competition that's between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, there isn't much to go, yay, rah, go fight, win. Now, Matt Rule doesn't catch the scrutiny that an Urban Meyer did coming out of college. Why? A lot of media jealousy about Urban Meyer. No question about it. Nobody really knew Matt Rule. Matt Rule had a little bit of a background in the NFL, and we learned one thing about NFL media. They're very fraternal. They're very provincial. They want their own. They want guys that they know they can go up and talk to as head coaches. They knew Matt Rule from his days as like, I don't know, offensive line coach or something nondescript like that, but that got him into fraternity of all the clowns in the media that will kiss your ass if, in fact, you are nice to them and you know them. So Matt Rule and his 10 wins over two years hasn't really, at least nationally, been discussed as somebody that, oh, I don't know, should be on the hot seat. You know what? I do believe this. We all like to be praised, right? We do. But what we don't like in these businesses is to be forgotten. Matt Rule is basically forgotten. Like, apathy is the worst. You know, love and hate, that's not, no. Love and hate are almost the same thing. Apathy is the worst. Does anybody legitimately, legitimately give a rat's ass about the Carolina Panthers that doesn't live in Charlotte? Does anybody legitimately, if you went out on the street and you asked somebody, I may do this today, who's the coach of the Carolina Panthers? Matt Rule is 10 and 23, and I'm going to get, all right, 10 and 23. Mike McCarthy won 12 games last year. Who's on a hotter seat? Who do people know? You don't even know Matt Rule exists, and that's a good way to be. I'll never forget Calvin Sampson telling me, damn, the Indiana basketball job is way different than the Oklahoma basketball job. I said, yeah, how so? He goes, damn. Nobody cares about Oklahoma basketball until after bowl season. And then they don't care about basketball once we get closer to spring football. At Indiana, you get 17,000 people in Assembly Hall packing it on a Sunday against Chicago State. And he's right. With the Carolina Panthers, you can go 10 and 23. You can finish third and fourth in your division in your two years and you're not going to be seeing on GetUp or NFL uh, Network or anywhere. You're not going to be seeing anything about Carolina other than when they do their season preview. Every single day, Mike McCarthy has been fired on ESPN. Every single day. I'm telling you. I'll look. It'll happen today. I'm not saying it's a headline, but all right. 
So good for Matt Rule. He has put himself in a position where nobody gives a rat's ass. So you can go 10 and 23. Hey, but he's number three on the hit parade. Number two, this is the one I'm like, oh man, really? But I got to tell you, it seems to be going that way. And it's that guy, Pete Carroll. I'm going to give you a couple Pete Carroll deals. Since 2000, what a great day. A little power surge here in the neighborhood. Boom. And next thing you know, away we go, baby. Yeah. All right, number two. Now, this shocked me a little bit. I cannot tell a lie. This did. This shocked me when I looked at Pete Carroll and everybody's, I got to turn off this volume here. There we go. When I looked at Pete Carroll, did you know since 2012, 10 years, eight times Pete Carroll has won 10 games or more, but I believe him to be on the hot seat. Russell Wilson wanted out of there and he got out of there. Now, when you're without your quarterback, let's be honest, problems ensue. Now, again, man, training camp, you know who's been looking really good? Drew Locke. I saw a video of him throwing into a screen, and he hit the hole every time. All right. Eight double-digit wins, but he went 7-10 and 10 last year, and you can overstay your welcome in coaching. There's a reason most coaches refer to Larry Brown as the smartest coach ever. Why? Well, he was a great coach. He took jobs where you could win big, Kansas, UCLA, and college, uh, and he got out before the posse. He got out before he overstayed his welcome. So when you look at the history of Larry Brown, he basically coached, not basically, he coached in half of the teams in the NBA. He kept moving. Pete Carroll didn't keep moving. Pete Carroll, again, stayed too long, 7-10. and 10. Now he's got some heat. Now he's without a star, really. And when you look at it, um, Russell Wilson is a star. Doesn't have a star. We'll see what he can do. 7-10. and 10, last year is not good enough in Seattle for a guy that's tired. It felt like Pete Carroll had to do a little public PR to keep his job once the whole Wilson thing went down. It felt that way. But when you look at his record, it is absolutely phenomenal. In my world, Pete Carroll is coach forever until he decides not to be coach uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. In the real world of NFL, man, that ain't how it works. That is not how it works. How it works is what you do? You went 7-10. and 10, Russell Wilson didn't want to play for you, so he had to leave. That means there's internal problems, which means you've got to go. That's the way it works. Man, tough, tough, tough job. All right. Number one on the hit parade's easy. It's Mike McCarthy. Did you know that Mike McCarthy, you would never know this. Did you know that Mike McCarthy went 12-5 and five last year? 12-5 and five puts you in the Hall of Fame. Winning your division, I know people poo-poo that, but let's be honest, when you win a game and you're the Dallas Cowboys and you beat the, San, or the uh, New York Giants, people say, oh, man, it's a division game. It's a hell of a win. They won a division game. But then you go ahead and you win the division and everybody makes fun of you and goes, well, nobody cares about winning division." Let me ask a simple question. When's the last time there wasn't a hot seat in Dallas? <coughs> When's the last time Jerry Jones and this squeeze that he puts on coaches has actually worked? He brought in Jimmy Johnson, right? He brought in Jimmy Johnson because it was his boy 
And they since fell out over ego to the point where, uh, if you saw this the other day, Jerry Jones actually said this. He actually said that Jimmy Johnson is sniveling, sniveling to get in the ring of honor. And every quarterback and every coach since has been squeezed the other day. What did Jerry Jones say? He said, look, if I didn't think Mike McCarthy could lead us to the Super Bowl, he wouldn't be the coach. We get that. But then you know what he said? And I have options. Has anybody ever doubted that Jerry Jones has options? No. But Jerry Jones needs you and he needs his coaches to know that he has options. I'm old enough to remember when Jason Garrett was on the sideline with the clipboard in front of him, and he was the guy that Jerry Jones died for, wanted, continued to think was going to be his coach. Guess what? He became the coach. Guess what? Every day the questions. Guess what? He didn't win a Super Bowl. Now's Mike McCarthy. As my friend Seth Greenberg said, about, well, probably six weeks after the NFL season, hey, Dan, Mike McCarthy hasn't coached a game in six weeks, yet he gets fired every damn day on ESPN. And he's right. He obviously is the guy with the most heat on him. It's every single day. Look, for some reason, the Cowboys sell. $7.6 billion is what the Cowboys franchise is worth. Jerry Jones, for whatever the reason, if you don't like him, great. If you like him, great. Has put the Cowboys in a position where it is the most valuable franchise in American sport. It just came out. How has he done that? One of the ways he's done that is he has kept it in the public eye by, I suppose, putting pressure on his coach, putting pressure on his quarterback, being the GM, doing radio interviews weekly with the local radio station, where it seems like every single radio interview on a Monday or Tuesday or whenever the hell he does it leads to some type headline all across the country. It's glorious. It's magical. It's business. And when you are not the owner or you are not the owner's children or you are not a private partner in ownership, you are a worker. And as a worker for Jerry Jones, you are under constant pressure. It's not a bad business model. It's not a bad sports model. But it does lend itself to you now, Mike McCarthy, are the next. There's also another reason, let's be honest. Mike McCarthy doesn't look like what people want looking like anymore. Mike McCarthy's an old fat guy, old fat white guy. So he's easy. He's easy. Everyone that's ever played for McCarthy, everyone that's ever been around McCarthy will tell you he's the greatest dude ever. But that don't matter. And that factors into this too. It's far easier to criticize Mike McCarthy than Brian Flores. I mean, I don't know if you've paid any attention to the very, very slim reports during the Brian Flores era, but it was a complete train wreck in Miami. I mean, a total train wreck. Mike McCarthy won 12 games. Well, he should win 12. Why? Why Why should the Dallas Cowboys win more than anybody else? It used to be the Dallas Cowboys under Gil Brandt and Tech Schramm and Tom Landry were ahead of the game. 
They were the first in scouting. They were the first in computers. They were the first to use analytics. Everybody's the same now, and that's the way the NFL likes it. So why do we pay attention so much to the Dallas Cowboys? I don't know. But I think it has something to do with Jerry Jones being smarter than everybody when it comes to raising the profile of his team and his business. Yeah, they were America's team in the 70s. Are they still? I don't know. But they still put a ton of heat on the coach, baby. Man, that would be fun. One of the greatest things of my life, two two times, high school and college, we got good enough in high school that every time we went on the road, it was a packed house line out the door. I fell into it in Indiana, where every time we played, it was a packed house. People lined up out the door. I can still remember going down to UTEP, and it was like a damn party. They had tents. They had beer sale. It was like, wow. That's what the Cowboys are. Biggest game every week, and that's fun. No, that's a lot of fun. That's the what you want to do when you are a coach or a player. Um, I got to tell you, trade deadline, interesting. I hate it that my Cubs aren't involved. Ian Miller knows. We're going to talk to Ian when we come back. Stay right here. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, welcome back. Trade deadline in Major League Baseball. And, you know, the truth of the matter is... I hate being a Cub fan. The, look, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When you are fat, old, and ridiculous, you are looking for appointment TV on your, well, in your life. Cubs playoff baseball, August, September, into the playoffs, must see TV for me. There is none. Ian Miller joins us, one of the best writers in the country. You can read him at OutKick. I'm not even talking to you about the Cubs. They pissed me off so much. So I got to talk about Josh Hader. I looked at this trade, did a little research. This trade makes a lot of sense for both of these teams. And you made mention, hey, look, if there's a big name to be had, the San Diego Padres are going to go have it. Hey, Dan, so sorry, I lost you for a second there. Uh, could you repeat that? Yeah, I was talking about the hater trade and how you made the comment that if the Padres, if there's a big name to go get, the Padres want to go get it. Yeah, definitely. They always seem to kind of chase after uh, whoever the biggest name and, and you know available might be. They did this a few years ago, even when it was people like Matt Kemp and Justin Upton and Craig Kimbrell. It didn't really work back then. They didn't make the postseason. But, um, you know, it, it was surprising that Hader got dealt at all. And But the fact that he did get dealt with the Padres, that seemed to make sense. Um, I, and I think it did make sense a bit for both sides where the Brewers were able to kind of, you know, they got Taylor Rogers, a good pitcher, and they were able to kind of maintain their competitiveness this year while theoretically setting themselves up down the road. 
and the Padres got kind of a bigger name reliever and got him through next year as well. So, uh, you know, they can try to kind of make two runs with Hader towards the postseason. And that's the thing, right? I mean, Taylor Rogers, good pitcher, but he's not Josh Hader. He's second in the league. Estuve Ruiz seems to be the prize in this bad boy. And Lament is a guy that has been good at different times. And Gasser is a prospect down in high A. So this is maybe one of those rare trades that it worked out well for both teams possibly, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think it did make sense on both sides. I mean, I'm sure for the Brewers fans, it's hard to give up on Josh Hader after, you know, he's been so good for them for such a long time. Um, he's not having his best season this year. And so maybe that was kind of a motivation as well, where, you know, the Brewers have Devin Williams, who's been, un- you know, incredible. He's, I think he's pitched 28 consecutive scoreless innings, something like that, or 28 consecutive scoreless appearances. Um, but, you know, Hader has just been so good there for so long. I think the the Padres thought, you know, this is a, a significant upgrade for us going forward for the rest of the year where, you know, Hader has a lot of playoff experience and has shown that he can perform in big moments and, you know, if you're going into a, a wild card series right now with the Braves, which is where they would be, you feel pretty good about Hader getting, you know, facing Ronald Acuna and uh, Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley in the ninth inning, uh, maybe more so than you would with Taylor Rogers. So what is like to me, this seems a bit and you mentioned two years with Hader. It seems to me we got to get to the World Series one of these two years if you're San Francisco or San Diego, no? Uh, yeah, I mean, they seem to be kind of all in, especially if they do go after Soto and, and now the rumors are Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals. If they if they make all those trades, they're going to empty out the top 10 of their farm system. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, their prospects they just gave up for Hader. Uh, if, if the prospects they would have to give up for Soto and, and Bell, they're they're really all in. They have to try to get there in the next couple of years, especially also because they're spending a fortune right now. Their, their payroll is really high. They're, you know, if they get Soto, they're going to be over the luxury tax. Um, potentially the next couple of years. So they really are with this move, I think, trying to turn a signal. We're trying to win a world series in the next couple of years. Obviously it's not that easy. The Dodgers have had great teams for five, six years in a row and haven't always won as a Dodgers fan. I know. So I, I it is, but at least it is, it's exciting to see teams going for it. I know you mentioned being a Cubs fan is frustrating. This is kind of the opposite, right? The Padres are telling their fans, look, we're going for it and we're trying to win as, as hard as we can. Ian, I don't give a rat's ass about how much money my team is spending. You know, like, I get it. We're supposed to. I don't care. Bring all these guys and let's make a run. But speaking of Soto, has anything that happened thus far had a major impact on Soto yet? Uh, I think, you know, teams that were early on supposed to be in it, like the Mets, you know, when they made deals or the Yankees went and got Andrew Benintendi, that seemed like they were kind of backing out of the Soto uh, sweepstakes. Um, But so far, you know, the Cardinals have have gotten Jose Quintana, but that they didn't give up a lot of their best prospects. The Dodgers made a small move for a reliever. So, you know, the three teams that were supposed to be in the conversation right now, Dodgers, Padres, Cardinals, they've all have those those top prospects and young major league players available still to, to include in this deal if they really want to. So, uh, you know, it does seem like the Padres, after giving up a couple of their maybe top 10, top 15 prospects, uh, if they do have to to trade three or four more, it it could be more substantially harmful to them down the road. But they might be willing to do that. Uh, It's going to be very interesting next couple hours here. Um, Ian, when you when you look at baseball, people, well, baseball is dying. I don't know, man. These salaries <clears throat> that they're giving out are pretty damn big. I mean, this is like, if that's dying, I want to die with you. 
Will Soto potentially make more? Is, is, is he betting on himself, Aaron Judge style? I mean, he turns down 15 years, 440,000. Um, there's a lot of element, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of elements to why you turn something down. He may not want to be there. He may not think they're building. Uh, I don't know, but can he make more than that? Yeah, well, every player has different priorities. And, you know, we saw with Bryce Harper with the Phillies, he signed for a really long time, and he probably could have had a higher average annual value if he had structured his contract differently. But he valued, I just want to know I'm going to be in Philadelphia for the rest of my career, and I don't have to go through free agency again. You know, Soto could be saying, I want to do, I want to bet on myself a bit where, you know, because he's not a free agent for two more seasons. So he could say, well, I'll sign a, you know, five-year deal for $300 million or, you know, $250 million and then sign another five-year deal for 250 or $300 million. Um, you know, some guys have different priorities. He may value just getting the most money per season versus getting the longest commitment. Um, and I think he could definitely make more if he does do a shorter term, higher average value. Uh, and obviously stays healthy and is, continues to be productive over the rest of his the next you know next ten plus years. He's so young; it's hard to even fathom how young he is compared to most free agents. I mean, he's going to be a free agent at like 25, 26, so he'll have a lot of opportunities to sign big contracts. He could do two, or he could do one, you know, for ten years, four fifty or something like that, and kind of break records if he if that's where he wants to go. Yeah, it's interesting. I talk about this all the time in the NBA. People ask me, why do kids leave that are seemingly not ready? And the reason is you want to start your clock to the second and maybe third max deal that you can get. I mean, it, it, it you know, one year in college is one last year, less year service time in the NBA. And it's the same thing in baseball, particularly with a guy like Soto, who is so young. He can sign two of these as opposed to one. So that totally makes sense to me and maybe get on a better team. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it's pretty clear. I think he's soured at this point on the Nationals. Uh, you know, you can just kind of tell he wanted to be there. He wanted to try to win, and they're clearly not in any position to win. And I don't think – I, I guess they just didn't feel like the offers they made were were really serious about trying to keep him there for the long run. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of baseball players, almost everybody wants to win and wants to win a World Series. And, uh, you know, he's already won one. And I'm sure once you've done that, it makes it even more uh, – you you want to chase that even harder. So – um, any team he goes to is obviously going to be trying to win this year and the next couple of years with him. And so there's a potential that he could have another shot, a couple of other shots and then sign for agency. And, you know, who knows, he's going to have the whole league bidding on him and he'll be able to kind of pick and choose location and competitive uh, strategy at that time. I hope the Cubs act like a major market, not a mid-major market, and go big. I mean, that's just me. Uh, did the pay, did the Yankees signing Trevino and uh, Montas? What what does that do for the Yankees? It's definitely a lot more depth. I think that was their biggest concern. Was just you know it, it, they've had great performances so far this year, and Nestor Cortez is an incredible story, and um, you know obviously the Aaron Judge has been incredible, but it gives them some more depth in the in the back end of the bullpen in the rotation and you know Trevino has not been that great so far this year but he has a history a history of being a good reliever and you know Rolls Chapman has really struggled so I think it kind of gives them a few more options to get to Clay Holmes who I'm sure they still feel very good about so um, you know and Montes is a, kind of a bit underrated because he plays in Oakland and you know people aren't watching don't pay it you know not always being able to pay attention to Oakland A's but uh, I think he could definitely help them you know be a good three or four starter for them going into the postseason, And, uh, you know, that's really what they're trying to just do is improve on the margins. Not, they don't really need to make a big splash. Uh, Ian, 
when when uh, when I look across the board at baseball, I say to myself, if you trade Soche Otani, then baseball sucks because that's the kind of guy. Look, you're a Dodger fan. You imagine, let's say you trade him to L.A. or you trade him to San Diego, and next thing you know, you got billboards all along. What is it, the five or the ten? Like you got to be smart enough as a GM, I think, to build around a generational guy. No, I mean, what? Am I so wrong here? I don't want to see Otani go somewhere else for prospects. He's too good. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. It, it is. It is crazy, and that's kind of been a thing with the Angels is that they've they they have tried to their credit. You know, they brought in Anthony Rendon as well, and you know, they brought in Noah Syndergaard, and they have tried to try and and, and compete with him and Trout, but. You know, obviously that both of them, Trout and Rendon, have battled injuries, and Otani's been incredible. And but it just they haven't, they don't have the the team depth of somebody like the Dodgers, where they can, uh, you know, roll out a lineup one to nine that's really hard to compete with. Uh, so it, it is frustrating, and it's unfortunate for baseball that this kind of once in a lifetime story isn't getting a lot more attention. And which and he is popular, but you know, it could be even better for baseball if he was on the national stage consistently. Uh, and competing for the postseason and, and in the postseason, but the Angels just can't seem to put together a, a good good enough group, and their farm system hasn't really, you know, they've had some big prospects, haven't really panned out so far, and so it's 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 really hard to see that. But I would love I would love to see him on a competitive team just to get him more exposure, at least. Yeah, it feels like in baseball you got to have a postseason moment to solidify your greatness. I don't know. That's just the way I look at it. I, yeah, 100% agree. You know, when you look back at career highlights, there's always something that for some of these, a lot of these, you know, major Hall of Fame level players that jumps out at you is this was a special postseason moment. You know, Mookie Betts hitting a home run 2020 World Series in the eighth inning to kind of solidify it in game six. There's there's a lot of these, obviously, the Kirk Gibson home run. So there's having that kind of iconic moment that will be replayed over and over and over again for Shohei Otani would be really cool to see. All right, why you're the COVID expert in my world. All of a sudden, we're seeing guys, Pete Carroll's out, Kyler Murray's out. What's going on here with COVID? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, it continues to circulate. It's always going to circulate. And, and unfortunately, basically, we'll all get it, whether or not we even know it or not. And, you know, if you don't, for a lot of people, they're not going to have any symptoms. You might don't get tested. You won't even know that you contracted it. But, um, you know, obviously, they're still, I'm sure some protocols in place for guys that if you, if you do feel sick, they feel obligated to get tested. And, um, you know, it's funny because for so long during in athletics, we had people that were playing through illness as seen as like a virtue. You know, there's the famous, famous Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jordan flu game and against the jazz. And, you know, now it's like, well, they, they might not even have symptoms. How many times do we see these statements? Oh, such and such has tested positive, but it has no symptoms. And they're, they're out for a week or 10 days. Uh, you know, unfortunately you're just going to have to start treating COVID as something we have to deal with permanently. It's never going to go away. Um, so if you, you have to start treating it like we did all these other illnesses and, and you know, that just hasn't happened yet in society where we've moved past treating it as something special and unique. And in California, they're talking about going back to masks. What's your thought on everybody, you know, going back to masks? I saw Fauci said that the other day, sporting sporting events, you're in an enclosed area. What's your thought on that? Well, he's never going to give it up. I think he's he's never really going to go back to uh, where he was in February of 2020 when he was telling people that masks don't work. But 
uh, yeah, California, I, it, that's a real concern that I have and many others have had that it's going to be a, kind of a rolling indefinite thing in a lot of parts of the country where you'll just see, you know, specific areas, Los Angeles or, you know, New York or Chicago, where, uh, you know, the local authorities will mandate masks as soon as cases go up, which they will they will do forever, you know, will come on, come and go in waves. Um, and, you know, that's I don't until they really admit that masks haven't made much of a difference. And right now you can see, if you look at Japan, they are shattering all of their previous case records. And obviously we know a lot of people in, in Japan are wearing masks. So no matter how many times we see that it doesn't really make much of a difference, it's just kind of become an ingrained part of, you know, this follow the science mentality that we see in, in a lot of the major cities. So yeah, I have a concern it's gonna be a rolling thing going forward. Okay, we've already seen, let's talk specific to like baseball playoffs. I, I don't. Truthfully, I forgot about COVID. You know what I mean? Then all of a sudden I see, well, this guy's got COVID. That guy's got COVID. He's got to sit for five days until, you know, the whole thing. Um, I really haven't seen it in baseball this year, have I, Ian? I mean, I guess maybe somebody gets put on the DL for COVID illness list and I haven't paid attention. What's the – am I wrong about that? No, it, it hasn't seemed to make much of an impact. There have been a few guys that have, have been out on the IL. I mean, honestly, what might make a bigger difference this year in the postseason is uh, the stupid rules in Canada with uh, banning unvaccinated players from coming in for, to play in the play the Blue Jays. You know, we've already seen this pop up with the Cardinals and the Royals. And, um, yeah, I could definitely see that making a significant impact. Uh, Andrew Benintendi was just traded to the Yankees, and obviously they're going to be in the postseason. So, you know, it could it could rear its head if uh, if these guys are not vaccinated, and it's ridiculous that they are requiring this at this point. Um, I don't think that the COVID IL is going to be an issue. I think there's uh, I, one of the guys that that was out for a couple of days was saying when baseball players were like, "This was so stupid. I didn't have any symptoms, and I'm never getting tested again. I'm not going to do this. It was a waste of time." So I think that's kind of the attitude at this point for a lot of players is I'm not even going to risk testing positive uh, for this. I'm just going to play through it. Is there any talk of Canada r- r- relaxing that ban? They actually, there was discussion about it uh, in their, I think it was their parliament um, recently, but it didn't pass, didn't go through. So I, I don't think, I haven't heard anything since then. It doesn't seem like it's changing anytime soon. I, I just, it's hard to believe it's defensible at this point. I mean, you know, Justin Trudeau, everybody, he's gotten COVID, he's been vaccinated and boosted. It's not preventing transmission or infection of people, so there's just no justification for mandating it as a condition of entry to the country. I was, we still do that here as well uh, if you are an unvaccinated foreign traveler. So it, it's, it's just really uh, frustrating and hard to see how this gets fixed in time for just a couple of months from now. doesn't seem likely. Blue Jays are going to make the playoffs, right? I think so. They, you know, they have a lot of talent. They, they were struggling early on. It seems like they're they're finally starting to pick it up and play well. The Red Sox kind of faded, so that was their main, you know, competition in the AL East for that last wild card spot potentially. And uh, they have a ton of talent. And, you know, I think they they are as talented as anybody. So I I would be surprised if they don't make it. I think they're they're going to be in there for sure. Yeah, I mean, and then it, then man. Um, have have any players that you know of, Ian, have they said, okay, like, if we make the playoffs and if we have to go to Toronto, I will get vaccinated? There were some reports that Benintendi had said he would be open to it. Uh, I know JT Real Muto from the Phillies had said, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm not letting Canada tell me what to put in my body. And 
I think that's at this point, that's the attitude for a lot of players. Um, there's even some smaller, I think Andrew Chapin was a trade target. He's a reliever and I, you know, he was unvaccinated and, uh, but you just, it's hard to say, it's hard to say if these guys are going to, when it comes down to it, if it's going to matter. Um, I, you know, I, I, I almost, I want to root side with the players to say it's ridiculous that you should be forced to do this. And, and so I almost kind of hope they don't, but I, and I hope it, it does impact Canada. And, and to me, this is an MLB failing that they weren't going after Canada for this uh, a long time ago. Uh, they've been happy to act to do activism for some other political issues, but they've, they've kind of been hands off in this instance and it's been pretty frustrating to see it. Hey, before I let you go, you mentioned the Dodgers. Where are the Dodgers in all this? Are we go see anything out of the Dodgers today. I think they'll do something. I don't know if it's going to be the Juan Soto type type trade. I, I you know, as a Dodgers, fan, I certainly hope so. I, you have to give up a lot, but you don't always get a chance to acquire a generational talent like, like Soto and have him for a couple more playoff runs. Um, you know, they don't have to do anything. They're on pace to win 110 games right now. And when you sit there going, you're running away with the division and you're going to win 110 games and have a bye, it, you can feel pretty good about your team. And that's without Walker Bueller. You know, he's been out for a couple months and Chris Taylor has been out and Blake Trinan has been hurt. who was supposed to be one of their key bullpen pieces. So, uh, I think they can feel really, really good about where they are, even if they don't land Soto. But obviously, you can never it can never hurt to make your team that much better. And I personally would love to see it. I think it would help them win a World Series. DeGrom's back, right? I, I think it does today, right? He's supposed to be back making his start. Yeah, so that'll help them out a lot. How big is that? How big yeah, is that? I, I'm them. watching Scherzer. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely going to help the Mets a lot. It's, it's, I mean, he's when he's on, there's nobody in baseball better, and, and he just can blow hitters away with the, the fastball and the velocity and incredible slider and breaking pitches. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of their goal, right, it was to pair DeGrom and Scherzer, and they haven't been able to do it. So I think, uh, you know, Mets fans can be really excited to see these these series where you could have Scherzer and DeGrom pitching in the same series, and it's, it's going to be really hard to get past that group of, of pitchers. That's what I'm saying. Like, is it, do you think we'll come out of today, the trade deadline, it ends at six o'clock. Do you think we'll come out of today with it still being the Yankees in the American League and the Dodgers in the National, assuming it is that right now? Where do you think we'll come out of today? I think so. I, I, as great as Soto is, if he goes to, say, the Cardinals or the Padres, um, I, you know, I think th those teams still don't have the same kind of depth that the Yankees and Dodgers do. Uh, you know, they have a lot of good players, but the, the depth that you see in the Dodgers lineup, one through nine, and same with the Yankees, where there's just no easy outs. There's no there's no break for opposing pitchers. Um, you know, they also have really dominant top rotation type starting pitching um, and quality starting pitching one through four for their postseason series uh, and, and deep bullpens too, where you have a bunch of guys that can get people out in the seventh, eighth and ninth innings. Um, even if one sort of does go to say the Padres, I, I think there's still too many holes to make them as, as good or uh, at the same level as the Dodgers and the Yankees. Uh, I think that's, those are definitely the two best teams. And then maybe like, you know, the second tier would be the Houston Astros. Is, um, is Judge still the MVP? Yeah, I think I think you have to at this point. I mean, obviously, everything Otani does is uh, is remarkable, and we're you know it's incredible to think of how good he's been with as a pitcher with a three RA, and obviously still hitting the ball incredibly well. But you know, Judge is it seems like he's 
maybe not a lock, but he's, he's really heading towards hitting 60 home runs. And if somebody does that, I think it's pretty hard to go away from them winning MVP. And I think it's also very, very clear too, that the Yankees are not where they are without Aaron judge having this kind of season. So uh, to me, he's, he's the runaway MVP in the American league. Is, is 60, let's say he hits 63. Okay. Is that like to guys that really pay attention, is that kind of the record? Because of no steroids, you know, assuming, and kind of a dead ball. It is. It is incredibly impressive. I, I me personally, I still would would say that Bonds did did get the record, and you know, obviously the steroids have, have tainted that forever, and that's that's unfortunate and uh, unfortunate for baseball and unfortunate for Barry Bonds. But I I, I think you you still kind of have to break that number to officially claim yourself as the record holder, and it kind of sets a dangerous precedent of picking and choosing which records we're we value based off of what that the potential behavior issues of the player involved. So, um, and obviously Barry Bonds wasn't accused of using steroids for his entire career. So you can't, I can't discount every home run that he hit. Um, but I, uh, I do, I do think that, you know, it would be an incredibly impressive feat and would generate a lot of interest uh, around the league, but I would, I wouldn't call it a new record. Fair enough. All right, last, last thing before I let you go. I talked about this last week. Pete Rose is going to be on the field for a 1980 celebration. You know, he's been banned from baseball, and the ban was supposed to be you can't go on the field, all that kind of stuff. He's been on the field numerous times. Should I mean, if you're going to – I've said, and, and I want your reaction, I've said if you're going to ban the guy, then do what you said, ban him. If not, put him in the Hall of Fame, you know, put a big plaque, say what he did. Where are you at in this whole Pete Rose thing? That's a great question. I, I do agree with you. I think if you're going to, if you do want to say, you know, we're taking a stand against gambling and baseball, then he's got to be out forever and you can't kind of have it both ways. But um, at this point, I mean, MLB has kind of embraced gambling. It, it's part of the, it's part of life now. It's part of the uh, interest level in baseball. And it's obviously, it's been a huge factor of the NFL success over the last 20, 10, 20 years. So I don't think that most people care that much anymore. I think most people would rather just celebrate Pete Rose's career accomplishments. Um, I don't think MLB would be losing anything by allowing him into the Hall of Fame or saying that other players would be tolerated if they started gambling on baseball. Um, I, so I don't really see a downside to letting him kind of be celebrated. And especially, you know, we don't have a lot of these kind of living legend type players left anymore from, from that era. So I, I personally would rather just see them kind of allow him back involved to be involved in things. It doesn't mean you have to go out there actively promoting him, but at least you can say, we're going to recognize him in the hall of fame. We're going to recognize what he did and all of his accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I'm all for it. Particularly back in the day before they embrace, will we see a major league baseball team uh, like the Oakland A's in Vegas at some point? Uh, it may be, it certainly kind of seems to be heading that way. Vegas has been still been growing rapidly, obviously a lot of more people and they've been very successful uh, with the, the hockey team and, and the Raiders. So I think there's clearly fan support for it. Obviously baseball is a tough sell because it's 81 games and it's during the middle of the summer. So you're going to have to build an, an indoor stadium out there or a roof of some kind and Phoenix has made it work, but, um, you know, there just seems like Oakland, it's time for a change there. That stadium is just is so decrepit and the fans have stopped coming and that's fair because the team hasn't been trying to win. So I think it kind of rejuvenate the franchise a bit, maybe put some more energy to it, bring some more money in there so they could try to go out and keep the guys that they've, they've developed over the years instead of just you know trading them to other teams as they get better. 
So I, I, yeah, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they do move to Vegas too. I agree. I, I agree. I, I do. I think it's time. Ian, I can't thank you enough, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you. No, thanks a lot for having me. It's my pleasure. You can read Ian. Follow him on Twitter at I-A-N-N-M-S-C. Follow him there. Read him at OutKick. Look, OutKick, we just tripled last year's readership on the website, and Ian is one of the biggest reasons why. He's a terrific writer. You guys know Bobby Barak. You guys know uh, what we're doing here, and it is terrific. But let's go back to baseball real quick. Man, oh, man. I watched Juan Soto last night, and all Juan Soto did last night was hit a bomb off Scherzer and then throw a guy out at home plate. It was like the perfect audition for Juan Soto to get traded and to make a zillion dollars last night. Like Scherzer threw one in on him, and Soto gave it one of those, right? And then he hit an absolute freaking moonshot bomb. And then later on, he came in and fired a strike, boom, tag, out. If you were going to paint a picture of the best player in baseball, and I don't know if he's the best player in baseball. Otani seems to be to me, and when you ask people, they always say Trout. But if you were going to paint a picture, it got painted last night. It got painted last night on national TV with those two plays. It really did. It was terrific. Hey, it's not Wednesday. I am off tomorrow. I have a thing I'm going to up in Chicago that I go to every year, and I can't miss it. Uh, But so we're going to have What the Hell Wednesday, and you're not going to want to miss this. There's some wacky stuff going on in this world, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, and it involves social media, and it involves getting arrested because of your social media. Those of you with social media accounts, you have to hear It also involves animals in your popcorn bag. And what does Tom Brady have to do with Ivanka Trump? Wild, wild coming up here on What the Hell Wednesday. Uh, We'll be right back. Megan, baby, Megan Turner, I apologize. Where did I get Natalie? Where did I get Natalie Turner? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Megan, we'll be back. Megan! We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, man. Hey, welcome. We've had a monster today. That was really good right there with Ian Miller talking about the trade deadline. It is Tuesday. It is not Wednesday, but it is a what the hell Tuesday because, well, frankly, uh, I am, uh, well, uh, I'm I'm off tomorrow. It's the first day I've taken off as a member of OutKick during the week, but I I have two commitments that I have to make every year and I cannot not make them. And this is one of them. All right. This is from my guy, Indy Spanglish. Indy Spanglish is a great dude, great father. 
And Indy Spanglish is one of the best follows on Twitter if you are into, if you are into smart stuff. If you're into just groupthink and stupid stuff, Indy Spanglish isn't for you. And he has a segment, hashtag BSUNite. Well, this happened in the UK. Can we play this, please? This actually happened. Someone has been caused anxiety based on your social media post, and that's why you're being arrested. This is a true story. This is what actually happened. The Hampshire police would realize how ridiculous this is. What did it need to come to? What escalated it to this level? Because I don't understand. I posted something that he posted. You come to arrest me, you don't arrest him. Why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something he shared, then I shared. Because someone has been caused, obviously, anxiety based upon your social media page. That's not his. why you've been arrested. No. Because somebody has been caused anxiety based on your social media post. Hey, let me tell you something. If I had everyone arrested that caused me anxiety over their social media posts towards me, I would literally have nobody arrested. I look at social media posts and I respond and I go back. I used to. I don't so much anymore. But think about that. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the world as we know it. You are being arrested. Arrested. See, I get called a bully on social media because I respond to people that come at me. Now, I always thought a bully was somebody that used their position over somebody else and starting a fray. Meaning, you're working, you're just doing your job, and I'm the boss, and all of a sudden, I come and I start a fray. Not, you're working, you're a jackass to the boss, and the boss slaps you down. The boss says, what are you talking about? And that's not a bully. That's a response. And manipulation is you trying to be upset about my response to you and your bully. But I get it. So that guy, and when he said this, it was something they said to me that I said back. That's all I've ever done on Twitter. You think I, you think on Twitter that I go try to find slap blank Johnny and say, Hey, slap blank. No, I respond because I'm a man of the people. Uh, next one, Airbnb has come under fire after reports that a very popular rental has been rented multiple times that were once slave quarters. There, do we have this video? I don't think we do. It's posted this week by Wynton Yates, known on the platform as Lawyer Winton, highlighting a now-deleted listing in Greenville, Mississippi, at the Panther Burn Cottage at Belmont Plantation. It's advertised. Listen to this. Now, there's one thing that you don't know what the history of the building is. You're just trying to make some cash. 
But this unit, its description openly advertised that it was a location where enslaved black Americans were forced to live in the 1830s. It was later used as a cabin for sharecroppers and an office. Now, Yates said he was in disbelief when his brother shared the listing in his family group chat, explaining that the listing made a mockery of the brutal history of American slavery. And I got to tell you, I'm with you. I'm with you on this. Like, if, if I rent something out and I don't know the history, okay, fine. Like, a guy bet me the other day that this lake that I live on is over a city named Georgetown. I'm like, no, it's not. I didn't know that. So you don't always know the history. But when you know the history and you advertise it, I got to tell you, that's bad. But if somebody decides I'm going to, oh, I don't know, rent this Airbnb because I want a little history or feeling of what slaves went through? Are you insane? Growing up, Yates said, my family would take my siblings and cousins and I and put slave shackles on our hands so that we could get the weight of the steel that was put on our ancestors' body to contain them. To see somebody just blatantly making a mockery of it just didn't sit well with me. I believe, I, yes, I'm, I'm all in on this. I don't blame you. Spokesman for Airbnb, we're taking this report seriously, have deactivated all listings associated with this property as we investigate. Apparently, there are others in Georgia and New Orleans. Uh, there you go. All right. There is... Um, they don't care, and I agree with this too, they don't care about the true history of that space. They care about the plantation in its visual beauty. They have the privilege of mentally removing themselves from that history because they are not affected by it in present day. If you were to put any black American in that space, the emotional reaction would be night and day. I agree. I agree they should be memorialized as historic spots. I do. I do. Slavery was awful. Slavery was brutal. And it's one of the reasons that I never want to hear NFL players compare the NFL to modern slavery. Because when you, as Mr. Yates said, you put on those shackles, those shackles are heavy. Those shackles are not light. And the truth of the matter is, they didn't make millions, if not almost billions of dollars. NFL players didn't. So I'm with this. I'm glad this got exposed. There are some things, you know, you can say something happened here or something happened there. Hell, in Indianapolis, uh, one of the things that they had to do with the Canterbury Hotel is stop saying the hotel room that Mike Tyson committed rape in. People are sick enough that they actually wanted to be in that room. So when they redid the Canterbury Hotel, the whole thing changed. I mean, people, weird. Very, very weird. This is something my family would do, this next one. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, this, is, this next one my family would do. A bride is outraged after learning that her family were making bets on how long her marriage would last. 
Man, if that doesn't say Dockage, I don't know what does. I honestly don't. I have no idea. That would be my family sitting in the back going, nah, this ain't working. Uh, let me look here. I can look in my uh, my guy there's eyes. I'll give it a year and a half. I'll make the over under a year and a half. Who's got what? What do you got? I'm writing it down. This is something the Dockage family would do. I don't know if your family would do, but she expressed her outrage after discovering that her family had secretly betting on how long, this is her own family, listen to this, how long it would take for her fiancé to regret marrying her. She was supposed to get married, this woman, at the end of August, but is considering canceling the wedding. She claims she was told by her cousin that members of her family have been making bets behind her back on how long they think it will be. Listen to this. This is her family. How long it will be before her husband-to-be realizes he made a mistake trying tying the knot. She confronted her family. Her family told her, look, it's a harmless joke. She, however, is claiming that her family accused her of hiding her real personality from her fiancé so that he wouldn't realize she was actually awful until after the marriage. So what her family is saying is, look, we get it. You wanted to get married. We know you're horrible. We know you've duped this bloke. Next thing you know, we're going to bet on it because this dude's going to figure it out, and away you go. When I confronted them, the bride said, they said it was a harmless joke. I didn't have the personality to be a submissive housewife, which a man like my fiancé would obviously want. My sister-in-law made a joke about making sure my fiancé didn't realize it until after the wedding when I confronted him. I was already upset, but her joke made it ten times worse, and I told everyone I was going to cancel the wedding. My family told me I couldn't do it because people would talk and my future in-laws wouldn't be happy about it, but I told them I didn't care, and they could tell everyone why I had a wedding ceremony. My parents were telling me not to, re- not to cancel it, as I would regret it. It would be embarrassing for our family for it to be canceled now, but I'm not backing down. Hey, look, my opinion, cancel a damn wedding if you want to cancel a damn wedding. Who cares what people think? Cancel the damn wedding. That's easy. That's not even hard. That's like, hey, you know what? Or don't cancel the wedding if, in fact, you think they're wrong. If you love the guy, why would you cancel the wedding? If you love the guy and your family's wrong, do yourself a favor. Bet the over. So your family feels bad for the guy, you're mad about that, and frankly, if you love him, who cares? Seems seems what I think. All right, this is one of the worst stories you're ever going to hear, and I want you to hang on to this just real quick, okay? This is one of the most 
awful, scary, horrible thing, and I'm being totally serious about this. I love popcorn. I don't like popcorn. I love popcorn. My wife hates when I eat popcorn. My mother and I eat popcorn because, well, we love popcorn. We eat it like this. It gets all over. It's crazy when I eat popcorn. And then for the rest of the day, I go like this. Listen. Drives her bat blank crazy. Drives her nuts. So someone in Virginia decided we're going to go get a bag of popcorn. It had a hole in the front. A snake poked its head from inside the bag. Shoppers value, Kim, Ken Bridge, Virginia. She noticed the bag of popcorn had a hole in the upper right corner. As soon as I went to put the bag in my basket to take it up front because, you know, they can't sell it, the thing popped out. A black rat snake. Now, I don't know nothing about snakes. I don't want to know nothing about snakes. I know copperheads can kill you. They had them in Bloomington. I know gardener snakes are harmless. But a black rat snake in your popcorn bag. It slithered out, went around her cart, and then went back in the hole. It was the full length of the cart. The reptile was a small black snake. We have no idea where it came from. We're investigating to try to find out where it came from, but we have no inclination that there could be others. Black rat snakes are indigenous to Virginia, but not commonly found in bags at the grocery store. So the rest of the day, you're going to forget about this tomorrow, but the rest of the day today, when you open up Doritos, when you open up those nachos, when you open up that bag of popcorn, when you open up everything, you're going to be thinking about the black rat snake and could it possibly be in here? And the answer is yes. Yes, it could possibly be in here. Of course it could possibly be in here. Why wouldn't it possibly be in here? It should be in there. Can you imagine? Now look, right now I'm sitting at a desk. And right now my legs are a little nervous because I can't see my legs and I'm wondering if there's anything crawling down there because I'm a black rat snake that is in the damn popcorn. It's literally the grossest thing I've ever seen. You remember Jared Kushner? You remember Ivanka Trump? Remember Tom Brady? This is awesome. This is so good. So Donald Trump, playfully or maybe not, warned Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, that Tom Brady was also trying to, you know, Ivanka Trump. Uh-huh. It's in a new book. Donald Trump has always loved Tom Brady. It's an, an, it's an obsession. Breaking History, a White House memoir. <clears throat> Jared Kushner wrote a book about his time in the White House. He's married to Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump's daughter. So they did not like each other. When Jared Kushner was the editor of the New York Observer in 2007, there were an annual New York power list. Trump did not like where he ranked. He said, please stop sending me your paper so I don't have to read BS like this anymore. All right. Long story short, two years later, Kushner was dating Ivanka. 
and started to discuss possibly getting married to Trump's daughter. Um, Kushner said, I could feel my voice shake as I managed to say that Ivanka and I were getting serious and she was in the process of converting to Judaism. Donald Trump then asked, I think a legitimate question. Let me ask you a question. Why does she have to commit, convert? Why can't you convert? Kushner said it was Ivanka's decision. All right. He also then threw the Tom Brady at him. He said, I want to remind you that Tom Brady has interest in Ivanka, so he better have the best intentions with the upcoming nuptials. Stern mentioned this to Brady, and I just listened to this interview the other day. It was in 2020. Trump has always dreamed of you marrying Ivanka. And, of course, Tom Brady handled it perfectly. He said, well, that was a long time ago in my life. There was, ne- there was never that where we were dating or anything like that. Guess what? Both Tom Brady and Giselle and Kushner and Ivanka got married the same year. Now, maybe, just maybe, he was right. Maybe, just maybe, Tom Brady uh, was interested in Ivanka. And by the way, I got her name right, Ivanka. I didn't get Megan slash Natalie Turner's name right. However, I will rectify that in a second. But anyway, I like what Trump's doing there. Crapper, get off the pot, as he's telling Jared Kushner. Um, Her name is not Natalie. Her name is Megan Turner. And I love Megan Turner, and I've never met her, and I've never talked to her. But Megan Turner handles basically everything on our website, at least at the Don't At Me. And I foolishly, ladies and gentlemen, foolishly called her Natalie. She joins uh, Megan slash Natalie I got to tell you, I apologize. I don't know where Natalie came from. I don't know. What can I say? Hi, Dan. Yeah, who's now? I changed my Twitter name just for you, though. My name is Frank, by the way. Feel free to call me Ed or Frank. Hey, Natalie slash Megan, I got to ask you, is there someone like, why would Natalie have popped in my head? I don't know. I get called all kinds of names. Like, uh, there's this one cashier at Target that calls me Elizabeth every time I go in. So I think I just have like one of those faces. I'll tell you what you do have. You have the ability. I read your tweets every day and I can't understand you. I mean, you, you speak in cryptic (laughs) language of the cool kids. You do. I'm like, man, what did she just, I'm going to read you one here. It's going to take me a minute. But I'm going to read you one here, and I'm like, what in the hell does Natalie... And by the way, she's a great follower. you got to follow her, at Meg N. Turner. All right? So it's at Megan, not Natalie. Um, where is this here? It's not the preponderance of evidence. That one I understand, and I've used preponderance five times today. Hold <laughs> on. There was one here, and I went, what in the hell... Penna lost so much blood, but is also going in on these submission attempts. I assume that was UFC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a big UFC fan. 
big UFC fan. I'm usually drinking to watch I UFC. Know. Heads up. GN, don't be weird. Oh, good night. Don't be weird. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. Hold on. Hang on, caller. I got the, I always get the good mornings, you all, y'all. Big X game fan. I got that. All right. I like this one. Bro, parts of speech existed before you made pronouns per- political. Like, go watch Schoolhouse Rock, Google something, <laughs> spin back. Like, parts of speech were a thing before, like, this whole debate over, like, she, her, like, we, the people. It was it was in response to that one, um, uh, I, I don't remember if she's a, a candidate for what part of Florida government, but she's like, uh, pronouns aren't in the Constitution. It's like, Literally, the first word of the Constitution is a pronoun. We, the people, (laughs) we, (laughs) like, spin back. Like, come back when you know what you're talking about. (laughs) Like, like, what are you doing? She's running for government? What do you mean? That could be an elected official? Like, spin back. (laughs) Watch Schoolhouse Rock and come back when you're educated. (laughs) (laughs) Is spin back a young, cool person's words? I mean, spin back. I really just tweet exactly what I'm thinking. One day it'll come to bite me <laughs> in the butt. Um, I'm having to censor myself right now, Dan. I almost just said I understand. Bad I do it all morning. Okay. All right, here's one. <laughs> this is like, are people tweeting in the shower? Oh, did you see that Twitter has like those little status things? It has like a little shower and it's yes. a shower thought. And I was like, shower thoughts y'all are tweeting in the shower what is that weird (laughs) uh wait a second you got you you cover everything every time i see one of these little treadmill looking things i died laughing like all right here we go (laughs) people trying to make it look like they are spawned into the new fit (laughs) <laughs> you know how like, in video mean? games people spawn back into the game? <laughs> like in content, right. like they literally spawn into the new outfit in in like TikTok reels or TikTok uh videos or like Instagram reels, but they're like on these little treadmills and they're just like walking in their little outfits. And I'm just not clear on what they have going on right now. <laughs> Maybe they're just working out. Maybe they're just no, no, no it's fit. solely for Is content. That- and they do oh. well every time. The videos do great. I should maybe do it. I don't know. This is this is the best one. This is the one. This is the one I was looking for because I literally, I saw this and I thought, okay, I'm not sure I've seen a little treadmill. All right. So people try. This deserve more likes. This deserve more tweets. This deserve more responses like, WTF are you talking about? And the average age would be like a million like me, right? But I'm telling you, PPL, by the way, it's not people, it's PPL. Trying, which is good. I figured you'd go T-R-Y-N or something. To make it look like they spawned into a new fit. Is that a new outfit? Yeah. (laughs) What is fit? Outfit. (laughs) All right. See, because I, <laughs> we should do a segment. <laughs> I thought getting fit. Deciphering like, you know, Natalie's we tweets. Should do a, 
<laughs> yeah, that's what we should do. We should do a segment. Old meets young. Cool meets dork. Uh, once a week <laughs> on our show. Son of I hey look, I swear to you, Natalie, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I'm not most of them I can figure. But the spawned into a new fit. I, I, I'm not so sure I didn't boycott you for a day or two and go, I got no, I, I don't know. <laughs> I got I got nothing. I'll put I'll start putting a translation under just for Dan. Yes. <laughs> Danlation, Natalie. Well, I am sorry. I apologize. Uh, but this has been the most fun segment I've had in a long time. I will forever call you Megan. And I apologize for the Natalie. No idea where that came from. It's no okay. Idea. Thank you for having me. We got to do this again. We got to do this every week. Old meets well, young, cool meets. <clears throat> I know. Thank you for all you do for me, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. We have uh, a new website, by the way. Everybody go to Outkick. What's new about it? Oh, I lost. Okay, everybody do go to Outkick. All right, let's go. Uh, rope a dope. We ready? Dope a dope. A woke a dope. Woke a dope. We got it real quick. We'll go with woke a dope, and then we'll call it a day. I'm telling you, I. You guys tweet stuff, and I just don't know what it is. I I just like if you would. This is the tweet in question, and. We'll, uh, I think we'll get woke a dope up. There it is. It, look at look at look at this guy. How about this guy? Is this guy beautiful? Scott Dworkin. Scott Dworkin, you are our woke a dope because you once again have shown the world that. Hold on, don't get rid of this. He's got a million followers. He's the co-founder, executive director of the Dem Coalition. The Dwoke Report. He's an investigator, an author, an Obama alum. The resistance forever. He looks exactly like what you would think. If you get fired for not getting vaccinated, just know that you deserve it. Republicans need to stay out of hell of our private lives. You, sir, you're awesome, Scott. You're the best. You prove what I've said every day. Man, there's some awful, ridiculous people, both sides of the aisle. But man, you lefties, you got it all figured out. All right, uh, noon to three, 107.5 The Fan. I am out tomorrow. My thanks to Ian Miller. My thanks to Meg Turner. My thanks always to Dylan and Ryan and Davey. We had a great show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor and just retweet everything that I tweet out. Let's get this going. It's moving in a great direction, and I thank you all for it. But we got to make this huge. We'll be, we'll be back on Thursday uh, as tomorrow I am off. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day.